welcome to this episode of Virtual Coffee, with dialogues about the future of health, including innovation, the new era of digital first, physical next, and reflections from outside of healthcare. Brief conversations, as if it were in a barista cafe, always realistic, but with a positive outlook. There are enough pessimistic channels out there already. I'm your host. My name is Lucien Engelen. 40 years of healthcare experience in ambulance services, dispatch centers, University Medical Center, and Singularity University. Both a global keynote speaker and strategic advisor, all mainly on the innovation intersection of technology and patient empowerment. Started during the COVID pandemic, checking in with friends, colleagues, and experts about topics that matter to them and to me. Distributed through LinkedIn Live, YouTube, and Facebook with video, and through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other audio platforms, or via my website, www.transform.health. So welcome everyone to this virtual coffee on this late night Thursday, April 16th, during the COVID pandemic era, of course. Um, and I'm very proud and also honored to introduce uh, to you one of my big, big friends for uh, 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 tons of years already uh, that will join me for a big cup of coffee, uh, which is my big and dear friend, uh, e-patient Dave, Dave de Boncourt. Dave, how are you? Well, I'm not as big as I used to be, you know, I lost 30 pounds, you know, I became an engaged patient, you know, and I, well, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm great. I'm as good as could be in this crazy era where the world is falling apart and coming back together. Yeah, it sure is, isn't it? Um, I remember the times back in 2011 when you were one of my first TEDx speakers at TEDx Maastricht and opened up actually literally the, the first conference in the first TEDx that, that we held where the, the, the voice of patients needed to be not only be heard, but also be included right in the middle of it. Um, how are your memories on that moment in time and also you on that stage? Because I think it was the first one for, I think, such an audience, like 1,100 people or something like that, isn't it? I remember that day very well. I mean, it was a gorgeous theater. And to step out on that stage onto that giant big red dot, which I had never done before, and see the people in two balconies and, and everything. I also remember, see, you and I had chatted a lot online and we had met that week. What I remember is that you are a kind of crazy that whenever you suggest something to me, I've learned I must do it because although I can't see why, the world's about to tip and tumble in a new way. I, I remember very well, I was backstage waiting to go on when you told me that I had to do this crazy e-patient rap that I had never spoken out loud before. You were always humming that rap. And indeed, I, I think I tricked you in the, in the uh, backstage indeed. And you pulled up your shades, jumped on the, on stage and started that, that big rap. Uh, um, and, and it totally upset the whole, the whole audience, of course. Well, and the, the, the thing that's really important, you know, you talk about the, the intersection of technology and patient empowerment. 
a lot of people talk about those pieces, but you have an, a kind of insight to the social leverage. All right, how do we convey these points in a way that gets into people's mind and starts moving things? You know, and I'm, uh, I, I, for anybody who doesn't know, Lucian and I are good friends, but although I'm a professional speaker, he has never given me a penny for anything in terms of any work. Any <laughs> yeah. work we well, do I think that I, I think the rewards also is the one that I sh I'm showing on this picture right now where 1100 people got on their feet and giving you a minute long standing ovation, which is not to say in terms of the payment of it, of course, uh, I think you're just joking a bit about that. But it's more like that's the thing that we try to get up and running. And one of the reasons I asked you back in the days, uh, uh, mainly also was your strive and it shows on your coffee mug indeed, your strive for the data to bring that in the hands of patients and citizens yes. themselves. So this is almost 10 years ago. Well, actually, it, well, yeah, almost. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, where do we stand right now? If you would reflect on that. It's amazing. You know, I've, Ever since I was a college student in Boston in the hippie years, I, uh, I've wanted social change. You know, I went through several decades of being a businessman in between. And here we are, we're accomplishing social change. On March 9th, the U.S. government announced new regulations that say that all my data in the medical record systems must be made available through an open source standard software interface so that there is no more toll booths where money is, we're winning. We have legally the right now to get all our data. Of course, it will take years for that to be fully implemented, sure. but we have essentially one and now now we can start to build the future that we have visualized for so long and and in that in that perspective what are the challenges that we face still i think one of the things that i see now in during this covid pandemic um, it looks like all of a sudden everything in terms of digital kicks in video conferencing yes. by the day multiple times yeah. remote mm -hmm. monitoring of it and I written a blog where I, I said, I think we were pregnant uh, from digital health for years. And now all of a sudden through a C-section that's called uh, COVID, everything explodes. What are your worries or, or, or um, think about, about uh, the speed of this? Is that going good enough? Is it like, are we taking patients' voices into account enough? So... Some people certainly are, all right? That, that the big problem here is that there is an encrusted paradigm, a mental model in the medical profession, uh, especially the older half of the medical profession that says, look, it's hard to become a doctor. You have to study a lot of science. You have to know a lot of things, pass some really difficult tests. What could patients have to offer? And after 10 years of studying this, I've come to a realization that this is rooted in the reality of 100 years ago, 
when nobody like me or you and me could possibly have access to information that would let us put data in its context. That world has changed. And so, I mean, so we were joking, you know, you and I have been doing digital things for ages, right? Like here is a 3D printed mini me. The People, mini me Dave. <laughs> When, when I started showing this, all right, sensible people said, well, but what are you going to do with that? So what? You've got data. You're not a doctor, right? And then on another visit, I've done for years in my speeches, um, I showed that I have the radiology from when I had cancer, the, the lung images uh, reconstructed into 3D structures, and you 3D printed it for me on a visit. So I, these are these lumps here are my tumors, right? And people say, what are you going to do with that? Well, here's the thing. I'll be the judge of that. It's my data. And what we're starting to see now, the system, the health system is overloaded with this virus. We have a need for more hospital beds in New York than there are hospital beds. Same thing happened uh, in Lombardy, in Italy. And so now when we get to the point where the system is in the process of collapsing or is in danger of collapsing, the medical professionals have no choice anymore but to take into account, well, what's most important to the person who has the problem? You know, yeah. and this is, this is transformative. And the, just the, my final point on this is people will often say, well, patients don't understand all of this. They don't understand what's in the medical record. Well, as long as you keep us away from it, that will continue yeah, never to be learn true. About, you indeed also never learn about that. So um, Yes, exactly. I'm yeah. also watching some of the comments and the, and the, and the questions. Uh, by the way, I also just saw that our uh, mutual big friend, Lauren Sherman, who also was one of our speakers at our TEDx conference, also is, uh, is online. So big shout out to Lawrence, uh, my friend. Good, uh, good to see you virtually. Um, one of the questions that has been asked about also sharing the medical records is what about privacy? Uh, obviously, there's also always the question about privacy that we need to ask for that. Uh, are these concerns regarding the health records sincere? Um, should we put them away? Should we neglect it? Or should we emphasize on it? Or what I like to think often, it's, it's a trade-off. Like in the current era that we're in right now with this COVID pandemic, there is a trade-off about the information that you yes. can see and need because we're in an acute situation. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so what are your thoughts about that? Well, my observation is that this is not a yes or no decision. This is exactly, this is just the latest version of what happens when a new asset becomes digital. There was a time when credit cards only existed and credit card numbers only existed in physical reality. For somebody to steal it, they had to steal your card or perhaps steal the carbon paper that had a credit card imprint. When that became digital, it became vulnerable to hackers. So my personal view is that the last thing anybody today would really want to do is go back to where credit cards were only physical objects. I mean, there's no Amazon in that era, right? 
You can't pay for anything online. Uh, what we need to do is think together as a society, what are the benefits, what are the risks, and how do we move forward? And that, as it turns out, that is a, just one more expression of what happens when little kids grow up and start to become tweens and then adolescents and young adults. They make mistakes. Some of them get killed in car crashes. Some of them do dumb things. But what we're learning, without a doubt, especially those of us who have grandchildren, the next generation is coming along and they're growing up into a world that we didn't know. The remedy is to teach them to think for themselves and be careful and responsible. Yeah, well, I think that's also one of the, the, the interesting things that also Simon Sinek, who was also one of the speakers at the same conference, also shared with us back in the days where he said, the millennials that are growing up are used to what he likes to call this instant economy. Everything should be available right now on an instant, this Instagram um, generation, uh, so to speak. Uh, is your opinion and viewpoint about, for instance, the use of medical records for what you know for these youngsters, so to speak, the same as for people who have grown up? Uh, well, see, <laughs> not all youngsters are identical and not all old people are no. identical. Sure enough. I read the, the real juice here is to look for what is the opportunity? What's, what are we going to be able to do? Uh, at the same time that you think about what bad might happen, you need to be thinking about what bad is already happening. Leading up to the big HIMSS Global Health IT Conference that eventually got canceled. Well, then uh, got canceled physically. It, it yeah. did run digitally. Yes, 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 thank you very much. And it, uh, but leading up to that, that was also the week that the new federal rules were announced, stipulating that our records have to be released and so on. Well, because we knew that there was, that in the patient activist world, we knew there was going to be pressure and resistance. A number of us, including the great activist uh, and advocate Grace Cordovano started doing a patient story collection of bad things that had happened because the family didn't have the health data from the medical record, mistakes, missing information, harm that happened, and good things that happened when people did have the information. And that story collection now lives on Grace's website, Unblock Health. Uh, and is I haven't seen a single person who has paged through those stories and hasn't come away saying, yeah, there's no question. You, know, you can't consider the bad that might happen without considering the bad that already is happening. Yeah, well, can imagine that one indeed. Um, so wrapping up a bit, Dave, um, from everything that is going to happen during this COVID pandemic, one of the things that anyhow is going to happen is that we will restart and reignite healthcare with all the postponed uh, operative procedures and all the other things into it. Um, given your patient advocacy for the, the, the past decades, what would your advice be not only to 
administrators uh, in healthcare, but also to governments in how to incorporate patients' view and patients' voice in that. Could you uh, share your thoughts about that with us? It's about that with us. It's a wonderful question. You know, the, the reality is there are parts of our health system that are already being blown apart. Uh, we all know that telemedicine is being done a lot more than it was, and the huge just transformational change, real game changer in the United States has been that for the first time, our government health department, CMS, uh, is paying for telemedicine visits. And I don't know anybody who's been doing that who wants to go back. I think that's going to persist. And in similar, you and I could talk for hours on this, in similar ways, uh, the system that has to some extent either fallen apart or has been blown to pieces will start coming back together like after some sort of a big bang. And it's a tremendous opportunity to involve the stakeholders, not just the people who work in the system like the money people and academics, but the frontline doctors and nurses and the frontline patients. And you know who they are? They are the people who are at the point of care. If we can optimize new workflows around what's important to them so they can accomplish the job of care more effectively with less effort. I'll tell you one other way that's really personal for me. Uh, I'm not young anymore and I'm in the boomer generation that, you know, if COVID hadn't come along, we are, we are about to crush the system too. And it's a wonderful thing. I'll tell you what, you know what I want? I want stuff that the health system can do for me while I'm at home. Guess what? That's what we have with COVID. I am not eager to go into the hospital or the doctor's office that much. We can't optimize for consumer value unless we engage the consumer. That's a great thought. And that's a great advice to, uh, to wrap this virtual coffee up, uh, uh, up for now. Um, uh, Dave, again, thank you very much, not only for your company during this uh, virtual coffee, but also for your leadership and your provoking thought leadership uh, over the course of the past years. And I hope that we can uh, enjoy that for many, many years uh, after this one. Thank you very much Bye. again and uh, hope to see you soon, of course, in real life. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll end with the last words of my TED talk at your place. Let we should. Help. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Again, thank you very much, uh, people out there already, also for your questions and your praises. People are chiming in through WhatsApp, through uh, LinkedIn, and to, uh, to Twitter. This was today's session of Virtual Coffee with Lucian Engelen. Um, they will be online on, uh, on YouTube, but also the audio version on, uh, on the separate channels like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, of course. Uh, looking forward to seeing and hearing more of you over the course of the, the, the next days. Stay safe, stay home, and wash your hands.